Hello, and welcome to the Breastfeeding Medicine Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ann Eglash. This podcast is co-sponsored by the Department of Family Medicine at the University of Wisconsin School of Medicine and Public Health, as well as the Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine. The Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine is an international organization of physicians dedicated to the promotion, protection, and support of breastfeeding and human lactation through education and research. Our goal for this podcast series is to help you manage clinical aspects of breastfeeding medicine. We also hope to keep you updated with current research that may impact practice management. Any advice or recommendations in this podcast do not reflect official policies or views of the Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine. Today I'm just going to talk to myself and do a breastfeeding news update. I'm hoping to do these once in a while interspersed with interviews that I'll do with some other physicians. I'm going to talk about three items today. The first one will be the Affordable Health Care Act of 2012 in the United States. The next two will be on Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine protocols. The first one on fasting for the breastfeeding infant who will be undergoing a procedure such as surgery. And the second one is on allergic protocolitis in the breastfeeding infant. So let's first talk about the Affordable Health Care Act of 2012 in the United States, in the United States, which is certainly a very controversial topic and possibly will change course um, in our election in November of 2012. Anyway, Prevention-related services for women were launched on August 1, 2012. These are services that women don't need to pay for using their co-pays or their deductibles. And these services include well-women visits, gestational diabetes screening for pregnant women, domestic and interpersonal violence screening and counseling, FDA-approved birth control methods along with contraceptive education, HPV DNA testing for women 30 and older, sexually transmitted infection counseling, HIV screening and counseling for sexually active women, and last but not least, breastfeeding support, supplies, and counseling. However, there are no specifics that I can see regarding what supplies would be covered for breastfeeding support. These new provisions are supposed to take place as insurance companies write new policies or renew existing ones as of August 1st of this year. But many plans were grandfathered in when the law was passed in March of 2010, and so they don't have to enact these changes until they make substantial changes to their health care plans or until they write new health plans. That means that many insured women won't receive these benefits right away, but I do encourage women to call their insurance companies to find out what what and when these services will be covered. The next topic is the Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine uh, protocol on fasting for the breastfeeding infant up to a year. This guideline generally deals with moderate sedation to full anesthesia and not minor procedures. So we know that fasting is important for infants before they undergo surgery because because we don't want stomach contents to um, be aspirated into the lungs uh, while the babies are under anesthesia. And aspiration of contents into the lungs can cause lung inflammation, pneumonia, 
and send these babies off to the intensive care unit where they require mechanical ventilation. Human milk is thought to empty from the stomach faster than formula, cow's milk, and other milks such as rice milk or soy milk, but it depends on the fat and protein content of the breast milk, which can vary from mom to mom. Fat and protein contents can also vary for one mother depending on the time of day and the number of months that she is postpartum. So in this protocol, again, minor procedures are not addressed because minor procedures like circumcisions, blood draws, and IVs don't require sedation. So fasting is not required for these procedures. And in fact, breastfeeding during a procedure such as an IV or a blood draw can actually help to decrease the sense of pain and increase comfort. For more invasive procedures that require sedation so that the infant doesn't move, such as um, major procedures or full surgery that require general anesthesia, infants should fast for four hours before anesthesia. So this means that the baby should be done breastfeeding four hours before the baby undergoes um, anesthesia. And this helps to prevent aspiration because the stomach is emptied at that point, but because it's only been four hours, the baby has a lower risk of hypoglycemia. On the other hand, clear liquids are considered okay for two hours before anesthesia because clear liquids will empty from the stomach within that two-hour period. And so it's recommended that the clear liquids have some sugar and possibly some electrolytes, such as electrolyte solutions or apple juice. Uh, That way the baby has a lower risk of hypoglycemia Um, prior to undergoing uh, sedation. Foods like formula, rice milk, soy milk, and cow's milk should last be given six to eight hours before sedation. And solid foods should be given no sooner than eight hours before anesthesia. The American Society of Anesthesiologists also agrees with this recommendation of stopping breastfeeding or stopping human milk four hours prior to sedation. So the good news is that the American Society of Anesthesiologists agrees with the Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine, and hopefully this will improve the compliance of hospital anesthesiologists and surgeons with uh, these recommendations. The second Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine protocol that I want to draw attention to is protocol number 24 called allergic proctocolitis in the exclusively breastfed infant. And I think this is an important protocol because the phenomenon of breastfeeding babies having bloody mucousy stools with or without fussiness has all sorts of different terms associated with it. And there are different approaches that are taken by allergists versus gastroenterologists versus pediatricians on how to manage this problem. And so this protocol is one of the first attempts out there to bring some consensus and uh, a summary of this topic with with some clear uh, recommendations. So let's review the highlights of this protocol. First of all, the authors of this protocol are referring to exclusively breastfeeding babies who are growing well, they're not fussy, and they have bloody stools. And the blood tends to look like red strings or little red worms in the stool. The entire stool is not bloody. 
It's a breastfed looking stool, a seedy yellow or seedy green stool with strings of red in it. We don't have very much data on how often this tends to happen. There was one study in the 1980s that indicated an incidence of about one half to one percent of exclusively nursing infants, but because we know that it's an allergic, it's an allergy to proteins in mom's diet, um, such that the proteins end up in breast milk, it certainly may vary depending on the diet in that culture. According to the protocol these babies are developing allergies to food proteins in mom's breast milk and this will lead to the bloody stools often by two to six weeks of age although from my experience I would say I see it more often at three to four months of age what's happening is that these babies are developing inflammation at the end of their colon which is around the sigmoid and rectal regions regions of the colon the inflammation doesn't seem to be associated with pain but the colon becomes swollen, mucousy, and bloody, and that's why mucousy, bloody stools are seen. When biopsies have been done on the colon in these situations, lots of eosinophils are seen, and eosinophils are allergy, are allergic white cells that are present in, in tissues where an allergic response is occurring. It's uncommon for these babies to become anemic with this bleeding, um, and, and so it's not really expected for these infants to become anemic. If they're anemic, it's a more severe situation, or they may be anemic for another reason. Nevertheless, it's a good idea to do a blood count, and uh, especially it's important to look at the platelet count to make sure that platelets are normal. A stool culture would be a good idea, too, to rule out things like Salmonella, Shigella, um, and E. coli. A colonoscopy is generally not the first plan of attack, or even necessary, especially if the infant is not fussy and overall looks good and is gaining well. So if the problem seems mild, such that the baby is not fussy, is eating fine, growing fine, isn't anemic, and doesn't seem ill in in any other way, the recommendation is to continue to have the baby breastfeed and mom should start an elimination diet to figure out what the problem is. The first type of food that mom should eliminate would be cow's milk. And cow's milk can present itself in, in many different ways in foods, so it's important for moms to read labels. They should be looking for things that say cow's milk, milk, whey, casein, lactose, milk fat. And if she doesn't see any improvement in three to four days, then she should, in a stepwise fashion, start to eliminate other foods, particularly soy, citrus, eggs, nuts, peanuts, eventually wheat, corn, strawberries, and chocolate. Although really for the most part, especially in the United States, it tends to be either cow's milk or soy. And cow's cow's milk and soy have very similar proteins. So um, oftentimes in my experience, it's been helpful to eliminate both at the same time. Although it's a little harder on mom's diet to do that. If the problem seems more severe, such that the baby is not growing well, or if the baby has a large amount of blood in the diaper, if the baby's anemic or seems to have a low protein level, then the baby should be referred directly to a gastroenterologist for further evaluation since it might be something 
more significant or different than allergic pectocolitis. However, this protocol recommends that mom continue to breastfeed, but start on a much more strict elimination diet, which is outlined in the protocol. There have been some cases that the use of pancreatic enzymes by mom might help to decrease this problem. And the idea with the pancreatic enzymes is that the enzymes help to digest mom's food in her stomach so that the proteins are are broken down much further. That way, when these proteins and other allergens end up in mom's breast milk, the infant does not identify them as allergens specifically and are less likely to react to them. There are no large studies showing that this is definitely helpful, but some case reports indicate that um, it may be, it may help to um, resolve the problem faster. Uh, the other uh, question that this protocol addresses is when to reintroduce these foods to infants, and they recommend introducing foods again, such as uh, cow's milk, at six months at at the earliest six months after the reaction starts, but it's probably best to wait till about 12 months on average to reintroduce small amounts of cow's milk, dairy, and the other foods that are found to be culprits in the situation and start them slowly and make sure the baby's doing okay before advancing with their diets. I recommend that people check out the Academy of Breastfeed Medicine protocols. These are free at the Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine website and that website is www.bfmed.org. Thanks very much, and we'll see you in a couple weeks. If you have any interest in the Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine or any questions or comments about this podcast, please email us at abm at b as in boy, f as in frank, med.org. Thanks for listening. We'll see you in a few weeks.